Hey folks, coming in hot with a little ad uh, for myself in my upcoming book. If you like this podcast, you are definitely going to like the book I wrote based on it. Unruly Figures, 20 Tales of Rebels, Rule Breakers, and Revolutionaries covers several people that I've never covered on the podcast. From queens of piracy in the Mediterranean to rebellious artists in New York to aboriginal resistance leaders in Tasmania, this book is full of rebellious folks you may have never heard of. It comes out wherever books are sold on March 5th. Pre-order it now. Link is in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by Audible. Audible is the home of storytelling. They make it easier than ever to discover the right content to enrich your life. As a leading destination for audio storytelling, Audible has thousands of titles, including audiobooks, groundbreaking originals, podcasts, and so much more. I love listening to audiobooks on long car trips, which of course I'm constantly on because I live in Los Angeles and it takes 30 minutes to go five miles. Recently, I've been listening to Bossy Pants by Tina Fey, and it is perfect for commuting or driving around the city because it's so funny. I love that it's narrated by Tina Fey. It feels like she's telling me a story on my drive. Right now, you can get one month of Audible for free by using offer code UNRULY. That will get you one free audiobook to enjoy on your next long drive. Go to audibletrial.com backslash unruly to get your free audiobook. And let me know what you pick because I want to know what to listen to next. Again, that's audibletrial.com backslash U-N-R-U-L-Y to get your free audiobook. We usually think of Valentine's Day as being about love and romance, chocolate-covered strawberries, champagne, and big gestures like holding a boombox over your head or getting down on one knee. But the history of the holiday starts with a saint, a man named Valentine, or so we think. And the tale is surprisingly bloody and rebellious. Hey everyone, welcome to Unruly Figures, the podcast that celebrates history's greatest rule breakers. I'm your host, Valerie Castellanos-Clark, and today I'm covering St. Valentine, the man whom we're shooting arrows into hearts for tomorrow, at least theoretically. While his story is shrouded in legend, we know he became a saint because he rebelled against Roman rule, and the tale is worth remembering this week. Before we jump into the tale of St. Valentine and how he rebelled against a bloodthirsty Roman emperor, I first have to thank all of the paying subscribers on Substack whose patronage helps make me make this podcast possible. This show would not still be going without you all, and if you like this show and you want more of it, please become a paying subscriber over on Substack. When you upgrade, you'll get access to exclusive content, merch, and behind-the-scenes updates on the upcoming Unruly Figures book. So when you're ready to do that, head over to unrulyfigures.substack.com. All right, let's hop into it. The man we know as St. Valentine might actually be two men, and we know next to nothing about them. The Catholic Church official list of martyrs, the Roman Martyrology, lists 20 martyrs, actually, who are honored every February 14th, and two of those martyrs are named Valentine. The first reads, quote, At Rome on the Flaminian Road, in the time of the Emperor Claudius, the birthday of Blessed Valentine, priest and martyr, who after having cured and instructed many persons, was beat with clubs and beheaded. Now, if I'm understanding correctly, this Valentine was once referred to as a saint, but was removed from the list of saints and their feast days by Pope Paul VI, um, his order on February 14th, 1969. It's been more than 55 years, but some people within the Catholic Church are still very upset about this, so maybe be careful who you talk to about it. The second entry on the list of martyrs reads, quote, At Taramo, St. Valentine, bishop and martyr, who was scourged, committed to prison, and as he remained unshaken in his faith, was taken out of his dungeon in the dead of night and beheaded by order of Placidus, prefect of the city. 
Now, some people claim these two men are actually the same man named Valentine who performed miracles and healed people before being martyred. But for now, let's take them one at a time. The story of the first Valentine, the one martyred in Rome, was a Catholic priest in Rome in about 270 AD. The emperor of Rome at the time, Claudius Gothicus, was the first in a line of soldier emperors, men who came to power through military success and were often noted for their brutality and cruelty. For instance, there's a legend that Claudius once punched a horse's teeth out, which, why? He is mostly remembered for his military exploits, but the Vatican tends to claim that he also persecuted early Christians, so there's not actually a lot of secular records to back that up. Nevertheless, the story goes that Valentine was well known in Rome, so Claudius Gothicus invited him to the palace so that he could get to know this famous priest. He liked Valentine, but he wanted to convert him away from Christianity, so he enlisted the help of his friend Asterius, who was charged with using, quote, mellifluous arguments to convert the priest. Naturally, it didn't work. When Father Valentine arrived at Asterius' home, he healed his daughter's blindness by praying over her. Won over by this miracle, Asterius and his family all converted to Christianity, enraging the emperor. He had Valentine arrested and tried to force him to renounce his faith. He refused, sending a final note from prison to Asterius' daughter, supposedly signed, quote, from your Valentine. Soon after, Claudius had him beaten and beheaded, though what became of Asterius is left up to interpretation. Considering how bloodthirsty these tellings usually paint Claudius, I can't imagine that Asterius' fate was a happy one. But there's not a lot of secular information to back this up. Instead, there's a lot of secular information to refute it. Claudius Gothicus doesn't seem to have paid any particular attention to early Christians. He was too busy with foreign wars. He was fighting on several fronts, including against the Goths in modern-day Germany and the Gauls in modern-day France. He was also often away from Rome, and when he was home, he spent his free time wrestling, overseeing improvements to the city, and punching horses, I guess. Maybe this lack of evidence is why the Catholic Church removed this Valentine from the list in 1969. So let's look at the second Valentine, the one martyred at Teramo. About 70 years after the first Valentine in 346 or 347 AD, Valentine was the bishop of a city named Terni, a city smack in the center of Italy, just a bit northeast of Rome. He was invited to Rome by a philosopher named Crato, who had a son who suffered from a very severe injury or a deformity that caused him a lot of pain. Crato offered Valentine half of his wealth if Valentine could only heal the boy. But the bishop claimed it was not money that would heal the boy, but faith. If Crato just converted to Christianity, his son would be healed. Valentine prayed over the boy, and he was, again, miraculously healed. And like before, the whole family converted, as well as several of Crato's students, one of whom was the son of the prefect of Rome, Placidus. When he found out, Placidus was furious that his son had converted to Christianity, so he punished Valentine by having him arrested and secretly beheaded in the dead of night so the Christians in Rome couldn't protest it. They did anyway, and he had several more people beheaded before everything finally calmed down. There is less evidence to refute this story, at least as far as I can see, but the similarities between the two tales are hard to ignore. It's probably why a lot of people think that these two Valentines are actually the same person, just with the dates a little muddled and confused by bad record keeping. But these tales aren't particularly romantic, you might have noticed. I mean, maybe the little note signed from your Valentine is kind of cutesy and works with today's tradition of exchanging cards, but... 
they're, they're not romantic. How did Valentine become connected with romance? Well, there's one more version of Valentine's story, one that is not told in any of the Catholic Church's official records that I've seen, but that survives in legends. It goes that Valentine's rebellion against the bloodthirsty emperor Claudius Gothicus was not about healing the sick, but about marriage. As I mentioned, Claudius was focused on military endeavors. He was so obsessed with conquering that some people claim that he passed a surprising law. After deciding that unmarried men made better soldiers because they didn't have someone back at home to distract them from campaigning, Claudius apparently made it illegal for soldiers to marry. They would be loyal only to him and his generals if they were single. Well, the priest Valentine of Rome was not happy about this. He decided to marry soldiers in secret as long as they were Christians because he knew that marriage was a holy union. Claudius found out, and the rest of the story is the same. Valentine was told to renounce all of this, he refused, and he was beaten and beheaded. It's a great story. Forbidden love is almost always romantic, right? But there's not a lot to back this claim up either. We have no record of Claudius forbidding soldiers to marry. And the collection of ancient Roman biographies, Historia Augusta, though famously unreliable, usually tells tales of Claudius giving his soldiers multiple female sex slaves as they plundered their way through Europe. Hardly the behavior of someone who believes that the best soldier is the abstinent one, right? Another legend holds that the ancient Roman festival of Lupercalia was tamed and transformed into Valentine's Day by the early Catholic Church. The feast goes back to the 6th century BCE and has connections to Rome's creation myth. The festival started as worship to the she-wolf who had cared for the infants Romulus and Remus and was meant to ward off infertility through random sex and blood sacrifices. However, by the 5th century CE, the holiday had really begun to tame itself. Instead of orgies with strangers and violent sacrifices, fully clothed women had their hands whipped. Which still doesn't sound pleasant, but, you know, it's a much tamer version. Sometime in the late 500s, Pope Galatius I banned Lupercalia and ordered everyone to celebrate the Feast of St. Valentine, or Valentine's, I guess, at the time, instead. It became a religious feast day like any other, where people might celebrate with pilgrimages, family meals, or other church-sanctioned activities. So we have to look much later to the poet Geoffrey Chaucer for the connection to St. Valentine to romance. In his long poem, The Parliament of Fools, he writes, quote, And in a clearing on a hill of flowers was set this noble goddess nature. Of branches were her halls and her bowers, wrought according to her art and measure. Nor was there any fowl she does engender that was not seen there in her presence to hear her judgment and give audience. For this was on St. Valentine's Day, when every fowl comes there his mate to take, of every species that men know, I say. And then so huge a crowd did they make, that earth and sea and tree and every lake was so full that there was scarcely space for me to stand, so full was all the place. And as Alan, in his Complaint of Nature, describes her array and paints her face, In such array might men there find her, so this noble empress, full of grace, bade every fowl to take its proper place, as they were wont to do from year to year on St. Valentine's Day, standing there. Obviously, that is a very modern translation of Chaucer's poem, but you get the point. The poem is also much, much longer, about 700 lines, so I'm not going to recite the whole thing, um, but I will link to it in the show notes. Anyway, the entire poem is about love and how it was modernizing in the 14th century. Importantly, one of the female eagles in the poem refuses to choose a mate, asking Mother Nature to allow her to delay a year. A lot of people take this as a sign of women's growing agency in questions of marriage in the mid-1300s. So 
It's really Chaucer's fault, this link between St. Valentine and romantic love. I mean, this poem became very popular and really moved into the common culture. But did he mean it that way? Was he trying to invent a new romantic holiday? And honestly, probably not. Chaucer used the Feast of St. Valentine because everyone knew when it was. In the medieval world where the Catholic feast calendar was kind of common knowledge, saying St. Valentine's Day or St. Valentine's Feast Day had more meaning to common people than saying February 14th. Medieval texts are full of dating via feasts or holidays. Chaucer probably chose it because in England, before the Little Ice Age of the 14th century came along and lengthened winters, mid-February was when winter started to thaw a bit. It was the beginning of spring, and therefore the beginning of mating season for many species of animals. Chaucer was just using Valentine as a reference point. Had he been further south, maybe in Marseille, he might have picked a feast from earlier in February, like maybe St. Agatha's Day on February 5th. This would have been a particularly ironic and subversive choice since Agatha's martyrdom was about her desire to remain an unmarried virgin and the torture and rape she endured as punishment for that. Though... I guess you could reframe it as she wanted to be a bride of Christ and still make it romantic? Sort of? Not really, right? Even though Chaucer didn't mean it that way, the poem struck a chord and the holiday took off. People started exchanging cards and gifts on the Feast of St. Valentine thanks to Chaucer's poetry. The earliest surviving Valentine's Day love note that we have is from just about 100 years later in 1477, when Marjorie Bruce wrote to her fiancé John Paston, calling him her, quote, right well-beloved Valentine. In another letter, when trouble was on the horizon for the affianced couple, Marjorie's mother wrote to John to advise him in the marital negotiations, saying, quote, On Friday it is St. Valentine's Day, and every bird chooses itself a mate. And if you would like to come on Thursday night, I trust God that you will speak to my husband and I will pray that we will bring the matter to a conclusion. Clearly, Chaucer's poem was well known enough that the idea of birds choosing their mates on Valentine's had passed into the common culture and encouraged people to do the same. The happy couple married a few months later, by the way. And that is the story of how St. Valentine became connected to a day to celebrate romantic love. He was just lucky enough to be martyred and honored at the beginning of spring when medieval people emerged from winter deprivation and started feeling a little lusty again, like the birds in the trees. If you liked the story, you are going to love my book, Unruly Figures, 20 Tales of Rebels, Rule Breakers, and Revolutionaries You've Probably Never Heard Of. It's out March 5th, 2024, but you can pre-order it now wherever you get books. You can let me know your thoughts about this or any other episode on Substack, Twitter, and Instagram, where my username is unrulyfigures. If you have a moment, please give this show a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It really does help other folks discover the show. This podcast is researched, written, and produced by me, Valerie Castellanos-Clark. If you are into supporting independent research and work, please share this with at least one person you know. Heck, start a group chat. Tell them that they can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts, but for ad-free episodes and behind-the-scenes content, come on over to unrulyfigures.substack.com. If you'd like to get in touch, send me an email at hello at unrulyfigurespodcast.com. If you'd like to send us something, you can send it to P.O. Box 27162, Los Angeles, California, 90027. Until next time, stay unruly. Unruly.